I trust the message today will be a challenge and a refreshment to each of you. Let's bow and ask God to bless this morning. Our Father, once again we come before you thanking you for your greatness, for your love, for your power, your spirit working in and through our lives. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have of gathered together this morning to worship you. We thank you for the freedoms we have in this country to do so. We do not take that lightly. But Father, we ask that you would help us to focus upon you and your word this morning. I ask you to guide my thoughts, my words this morning, and your spirit would work in each of our hearts through your word, challenge and refresh us, help us to have open minds, ask that the spirit of God would be able to do a work in each of our hearts and lives for refreshment and challenge and change where needed. We ask you to defeat Satan and may you be honored and glorified to this service and to this message today. We'll give you the praise for it all for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you know, <clears throat> I am stepping down from the assistant pastor role here at Harvest Baptist Church. Some may not know that, but just to clarify, there's no division between Pastor Marshall or Pastor Drew and myself. We're not at odds with each other. There's no doctrinal differences. Simply put, I'm moving into retirement, whatever that may mean. Don and I will be remaining here in Rock Hill and as members serving here at Harvest Baptist Church. Today's message is the last sermon I will preach in this official associate pastor role. In contemplating what to preach as a concluding message, the Lord kept drawing my attention to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verses 12 and 13, I invite you to open your Bibles to this reference. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. In reading this section of Scripture and pondering, pondering what the Lord would have for me to share with you, I realize that these verses, in my opinion, give a summary of what God desires for each of us. In actuality, what God's requirements are for each of us. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. Moses writes, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today, for your good. Moses addresses the children of Israel with a question. If you notice, these verses are in the form of a question. He says, what does the Lord require of you? But I want you to notice in this, these verses, there's a little conjunction, the word but. He says, what does the Lord require of you? But that conjunction is used to indicate the impossibility of anything other than what is being stated. In other words, it's impossible to change what comes next. Nothing can alter what is being said 
There's no argument. There's no alternative. There's no room for change. It's impossible to change what God requires. And so we ask it in the form of a question. Not necessarily what is, but here it is. So my question to each of us this morning, based in Deuteronomy chapter 10, what does the Lord require of us? Notice what Moses writes, what the Holy Spirit has penned. He says, first of all, we're required to fear God. I appreciate the songs this morning and even the special in regards to fearing God. Not knowing what Kelly was going to sing, not knowing what Eric was going to have for us to sing, it all, to me, seems to come together with the message this morning. And we ask God to work in each of our hearts. But he says, fear God. Last Sunday evening, I stated in talking about serving in godly fear, and we referenced Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, that briefly describing godly fear, the fear of God, it partially means we must know who God is, what he can do, and what he will do, and respond biblically. Fearing God is a reverential trust in God. And I stated, and I believe it's true, we should not be afraid of God. We ought not to be afraid of God and who he is. But we must reverently honor, respect, and obey him. Allow me to give to you what I understand to be a practical, practical concept of the fear of God or godly fear. When Moses says, fear God, when the Holy Spirit records it in Scripture for us, the requirement that God gives, first of all, he says, fear God. I believe it means adore his majesty. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My wife and I have the privilege of sitting on a front porch at our house. We thank the Lord for the house that he gave us when we moved here several years ago. Often early in the morning, I'm out there sitting on the porch, usually in the rocking chair. I'm getting very comfortable in that rocking chair. Or on the porch swing, and our house faces kind of northwest a little bit, but if you look to the right, sitting on the porch swing, often we can see the sun coming up in the morning. We see it come up brightly and shine to the trees, and some mornings it's a very brilliant sunrise. Some mornings it's bright red and, and, and just beautiful. It enhances and reminds me of the fact of what this verse says. The heavens declare the glory of God. When we fear God, I believe we ought to adore his majesty. I believe also we ought to accept his authority. Accept his authority. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, Remember the former things of old, God says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I am Randy Hibbs. There is no other Randy Hibbs. Thank the Lord for that. But in retrospect, each of us can say that, but I want you to imagine with me the fact, Almighty God, saying, I am God. 
and there is none other. I am God. There is none like me. Fearing God, I believe, means to adore his majesty and accept his authority. Genesis 17:1. God says, I am almighty. Walk before me. And I believe that shows his authority. But I believe fear God also means to acknowledge his power. Acknowledge his power. He is almighty God. Almighty God, all-powerful. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Oh, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. I want you to cement that in your mind if you don't already realize that. But we are here together today worshiping almighty God. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, too hard for God. In fact, we'll not take the time, but if you'd read further in Jeremiah 32, down in verse 27, God states as a question, a declarative question, I believe, and that may not be the proper grammatic use. But God states, he says, is there anything too hard for me? He asked that question, but making a statement in doing so, as we see here in Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, he's saying, is there anything too hard for me? When I read that and think about it, I think to myself, duh. Is there anything too hard for God? No. God says, fear God, adore his majesty, accept his authority, acknowledge his power. And I said, we do not have to be afraid of God, but we must anticipate his judgment. Anticipate his judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, we all must, or we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single individual will stand before God someday and give an account. He says, for we, we must all appear before the judgment of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He says, we will stand before God and give an account. The same concept is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, where God reminds us, uh, that we will someday stand before God and face God's judgment. And the aspect that we don't have to be afraid of God, we don't have to cower away from God, but we must realize that someday we're going to stand before him. And we need to anticipate that we will someday answer to God for our lives, for our obedience to the word of God for what we say, how we say it, what we do, and the list can go on. So we talk about fearing God. What does the Lord require of us? Adore his majesty, accept his authority, acknowledge his power, anticipate his judgment, for there we fear God. But he also says, here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, he says, follow God. He says, what does the Lord require of thee but to fear God? He tells us here, and he says, Fear the Lord and walk in his ways. 
That simply means that we are con to conduct ourselves according to the Bible. We are to set God's word as our, can I put it this way, rule of faith and practice, meaning that this book is God's word. It's a blueprint for our lives. It's the direction and guidance that we ought to follow because it is God's word given to us by God. Timothy says that God breathed his word into existence. He used holy men of God to write, to pen the very words of God. This is God's word. And he says we ought to follow him according to God's word. James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Just don't listen to what God says, but follow God. Put it into practice within our lives. Be obedient to God's word. And I ask this question. Why should we follow God? Because I believe we have an obligation. We have an obligation to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should, what? Follow his steps. The Old Testament was written for our learning. In the Old Testament, Moses wrote and said, what does God require of you but to follow God? Peter writes and he says, Christ left us an example that we should follow him. I believe we have an obligation, if we know Christ is our Savior, that we are to follow the word of God. Allow God's word to rule our practice and our conduct and our behavior. What God's word says, do it. What God's word says, don't do, don't do it. And God is always there to help us along the way. 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as Christ walked. He who says he abides in him. If you profess to be a Christian, if you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and asked you to save you, ask him to save you, then God says we have an obligation to walk as he walked. We read in our responsive reading this morning, Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, I want to repeat. She says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct our paths. If God is going to direct our paths, and he promises that we will do that, if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, and if we lean not into our own understandings, in all our ways acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. Why would we not want to follow God as he directs our paths? Why should we follow God? It's in our obligation. But how should we follow God? God's word tells us that we ought to follow God steadfastly. Steadfastly means unwavering, determined in our minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul writes and says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, that word brethren is used to identify Christians, those in fellowship with God, in companion, communion, one with another. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable or unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Notice it says, always abounding in the Lord. That doesn't mean when we, require, we, re, we retire, we just quit. That's why I mentioned that Don and I will continue to serve through this ministry, but on this side of the pulpit instead of this side of the pulpit. We have grown to love and appreciate this church and ministry and the people therewith. Amen. But God says, follow him steadfastly. We have, and I've mentioned this several times through the years, that on the wall in the Welcome Center is a big picture, a moral, whatever you want to call it. It's Colossians chapter 1, several verses. Right in the middle of those verses is Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that says this, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. That's how we ought to walk. That's how we ought to follow God. Worthy in a way that is approved by God, where God is, we are worthy to walk in the way of God, walking in a way that we walk in righteousness and love, pleasing him with all we do, being fruitful, productive in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but I have not yet learned everything about God. And I've been saved for quite a few years. But God says, follow him. What does the Lord require? Follow God in an acceptable, worthy way that pleases him. I want to make a statement. And I want you to see if you agree with me or you don't agree. The statement is this, that God desires for us to follow and obey him. And if we do, God will bless us. I want you to maul that around in your mind a little bit as we look at the fact that not only does God say the requirement is to fear him and to follow him, but he tells us that we are to love God. He says in this verse, in Deuteronomy, what does the Lord your God require of you? Fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, love him. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. But still I ask the question, why should we or why do we love God? Well, because of his love. 1 John chapter 4, four excuse me, verse 19 it says, we love him because he first loved us. Think about that for a moment. As we talked about on Wednesday night, just ponder that fact a little bit. We love him because he first loved us. If it wasn't for God's love for us, where would we be today? In fact, God, I believe, reminds us of his love in John chapter 3, verse 16. Most of us can quote that verse. But remind ourselves of the truth that we find here. For God so loved, not just that God so loved the world, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only begotten son, who, by the way, willingly came to the cross of Calvary, shed his blood that we might be redeemed and have a home in heaven. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't know what this verse means, it simply means this. Every one of us are sinners. And because of that sin, we are condemned to a Christless eternity where the Bible calls separation from God in a place called the lake of fire or hell. And God's word explains that if we do not have a payment for our sins, that payment will be death, spiritual separation from God. But because God so loved us, because he so loved us, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to become the propitiation for our sins, the acceptable sacrifice, meaning we don't have to die for our sins. We don't have to shed our blood for our sins. We couldn't do it anyway because we're sinners, and Jesus Christ was sinless, the only individual, the only way to pay the penalty for sins was through a sinless Son of God. We're sinners. And if we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to pay for the penalty of our sins, and we accept that truth by faith and ask Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins and ask him to save us, God says we will have everlasting life. Everlasting life. So why do we love God? Why is that a requirement? Well, I believe because of his love, but how? Once we become a Christian, does God say, okay, now that you're a Christian, you don't have to love me anymore? No. He gives us a command in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. God gives us a very straight and direct command or principle, or truth. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does this mean? I challenged you some time ago that I said that I believe what we ought to do with God's word in obeying God, we ought to take God's word and we ought to read it, we ought to heed it, we ought to live it, and we ought to give it out. God's word says, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. God says, if we believe the gospel, we ought to live the gospel. He says in Proverbs, take heed to the word of God that you not sin against God. To memorize it, put it into practice, and then to give it out. Read it, heed it, live it, and give it. Yesterday morning, about 25 to 30 of us, I didn't get a count of how many of the men were there for the gem club meeting. We met and we became gluttonous eaters of meat. Or gladly eaters of meat or whatever that is. But after we got done eating, we were challenged. Nothing new, but reminded that we ought to be actively, actively sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. God tells us we are to give out his word as we keep his commandments, we ought to take God's word, read it, heed it, live it, and give it that others may hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to make another statement, and it is this. Our obedience to God's word reflects our love for God. Let me repeat it. 
Our obedience to God's word reflects our love for God. John 14, or excuse me, 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Our obedience to God's word reflects our love for God. I believe that statement is true. I don't know if I heard it somewhere or found it somewhere, but I was meditating on it this week. Our obedience to God's word reflects our love for God, but I believe the following is also true. Our love for God reflects our obedience to God's word. Our love for God reflects our obedience to God's word. If you love me, God says, keep my commandments. What does the Lord require of you? Fear God, follow God, love God. He also goes on in that verse and he says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, we are to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Not only are we to fear God and follow God and love God and serve God, simply put, God wants us to serve him. The very first message that I preached here at Harvest Baptist Church was about serving our master faithfully. It was based out of Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the talents. And let me remind you of what I challenged each of us with. I said serving is doing work for others in a reliable, dependable way. Serving is doing work or doing something for others in a reliable, dependable way, worthy of trust. And I shared with you that I believe as we serve faithfully, serving faithfully is required by God. God requires us as Christians to serve the Lord faithfully. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that when you require, quit serving. He says, More was required in the stewards that one be found faithful. Don and I wish to remain and serve in this church. We've already told people that we'll keep working in Truth Trackers. We love to serve in Vacation Bible School. We may even do something in regards to Young at Heart to kind of keep that going a little bit. We'll be active in Sunday school. We'll probably even do some truth and myth along the way. In reminiscing and thinking through the message, I was reminded of a book that I purchased not too long ago. It's a book by Jay Adams that deals with helping to encourage older folks. It's entitled, Wrinkled But Not Ruined. Wrinkled But Not Ruined. We all, as we get older, getting a few more wrinkles, losing a little more hair now and then. But it's the same for all of us. God requires faithful service. But God also tells us that he will remember our faithful service. He says in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that ye have ministered or served to the saints, and do minister or do serve. Do you realize that every single one of you that worked or had any part at all in vacation Bible school two or three weeks ago, God says, I'm going to remember what you did. 
I'm going to make note of what you did. Each one of you that taught Sunday school this morning or was involved in participation in the Sunday school, God says, I'm not going to forget that. You that sing in the choir, we can go on and on with the list. God says he is not going to forget our work and labor that where we have ministered, notice this, and do minister, past tense and present tense. God says we are to serve faithfully. It's required. It's remembered. But it's also rewarded. Psalm 28, 20, verse A, or part A, says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. A faithful man will abound with blessings. God says we ought to serve him. It's a requirement that God gives us in his word. What does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, love him, serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your, excuse me, with all your heart, with all your soul. And he says, obey God. He says, keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes that I have commanded you for your good. I think this is Self-explanatory, he pretty much covered that already this morning. But I give you this verse, or these verses. One of the first verses that I memorized was Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Let me quote it to you. It's going to be a little bit different because I memorized it in a different version. But he says this, this book of the law, this book of the law, God's word, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. God has given us his word and he requires us to obey it. And he says when you obey God's word, when you obey it and put it into practice, he says then you will have good success and you will be prosperous. Not tall, dark, and handsome. Not rich and famous. I did tell you that one time I had to go to become a movie star. That didn't work. But God says that he'll prosper us and give us success. Not necessarily material value, but in some cases, often. But along with that, he gives us a promise in verse 9. He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God has been with my wife and I through these 45 years of ministry. And I repeat what I said earlier. Our obedience to God's word reflects our love for God. Our love for God reflects our obedience to God's word. I want you to think about that. And as you do, let me share this with you. I was born in 19, excuse me, I was born in 1951. I know I don't look that old. I trimmed my hair up this morning just to kind of disguise that. But in 1970, at a New Year's Eve service in Constantine, Michigan at Porter Baptist Church, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I realized I was a sinner, and I realized I was on my way to hell, condemned to a Christless eternity. And through the true preaching of God's word, after a couple of months of visiting that church and attending, I became a Christian. I put into practice what John 3.16 says. I trusted Christ as my Savior, 
And I now believe my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and nothing shall separate me from God. The same with you who have trusted Christ as your Savior. But that same night I told the Lord that I would go where he wanted me to go, do what he wanted me to do. In 1977, Don and I were married. We claimed, and we still do, Psalm 48:14 as our motto, our family verse. And we promised God that we would serve him wherever he would lead us. As a reminder of that promise, we have a hand-carved wooden plaque that sits on the mantle in our house of Psalm 48:14, And it reads, This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. That promise has taken us through Christian school ministry, college ministry, various pastoral roles, church planting, counseling, and a host of other venues. We have struggled through some hardships, some heartaches, but we have seen many victories. And we have been greatly blessed by God. With God's help, we have had the joy of raising five children who also have trusted Christ as their Savior. Each of them, with their Christian spouse, are striving to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. For all this, with thanksgiving, we give God all the glory, all the honor, and the praise. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. We are now stepping out of full-time ministry to enjoy our, enjoy our 12 grandkids and our family a bit more than we do. We've made many mistakes along the way. We have followed and allowed God to guide us, and we have done our best to follow his guidance. Why? Because of who God is. Because of what he has done. Because of what he is doing and because of what he will do for and through us as we continue to follow his guidance, as we continue to obey God's word. Like Don and I, you have an obligation to meet the requirements given by God. And so I leave you with these words, with this challenge. What does the Lord your God require of you? But no alternative. The requirements are impossible to change. What does Lord thy God require of you? Fear the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Love him. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for your good. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege that has been mine to serve and Don has to serve in this church. To serve these few number of years in this pastoral position. Thank you for the years of ministry that you have given to us and the blessings that you have brought on our way. But Lord, this message is not about us. This message is about you and your word and how great you are. 
The challenge for each of us today, Lord, as you have well recorded in your word, is to fear you, to follow you, to love you, to obey you, to serve you. Father, I pray that just in a small way, this message today would encourage our hearts, refresh us of the requirements that you have given to us, and that we covet in our hearts to be obedient to you. To that end, I ask your blessing through this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.